KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. A new attempt to stop gun violence in San Diego. The only way we're going to solve the problem is we have to acknowledge that there is a problem. If we don't acknowledge that we have a gang problem, then the problem is going to continue to persist. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Hospitals give reasons for increasing nurse workload during the surge. We had over 500 patients within our hospitals with COVID. That's five times more than what we had earlier in the year. And our weekend preview covers photography, architecture, and even a sing-along. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash OLLI. More reports of gunshots, more gun violence, and more homicides. Police say that's what San Diego experienced last year. Gun violence in the city was up 28%, with gang members suspected in 20% of all murders. In response, San Diego leaders have launched a new program to get communities involved in the effort to stop the violence. The program, called No Shots Fired, is designed to work with gangs, reach ceasefire agreements, and help individual gang members find new directions for their lives. The No Shots Fired effort will be a collaboration between city, police, community, and faith-based leaders. And joining me now is one of those leaders, Bishop Cornelius Bowser, founding pastor of Charity Apostolic Church. Bishop Bowser, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Well, you know, San Diego Police Chief Nislight says his officers are facing more people possessing firearms every day. What do you think are the reasons for that? Well, uh, one of the reasons I know for sure, because I, I talked with Chief Nislight and I also talked with the uh, Chief Moulton out in Alcohol, and I got the same response from both of them. The problem now is these ghost guns. That's one of the big problems for every legal gun that they're finding on the streets. They're finding these manufactured uh, ghost guns. So they most definitely need to regulate those guns because it's overwhelmingly in the streets right now, the ghosts and the regular guns. So yeah, that's the problem. And so when people have all these guns, they have a you know sense of using them, you know, when they get angry, if they don't have self-control. And how is the increase in gang violence affecting the communities that you serve? Well, you know, people want something done, right? You know, of course, there's a debate in our community about uh, whether it's gang violence or other type of violence. But um, I say it's both, right? You know, when you look at the Sandag report of 2019, and especially uh, specifically looking at uh, the Black community, uh, 44% of the homicides were arguments and 44% of the homicides were gang related. And so you have a little bit of both going on. 
And I think we have to be honest about the both of them. The only way we're going to solve the problem is we have to acknowledge that there is a problem. If we don't acknowledge that we have a gang problem, then the problem is going to continue to persist. So, you know, the community wants something done and they're willing to come together and make it happen. And so, you know, uh, we, we, you know, we got people working in various lanes and hoping that we can all come together and make this happen. One of the tasks uh, of the new No Shots Fired program is to reach ceasefire agreements with gangs. How do you go about accomplishing that? Well, one of the ways is, is the way that um, uh, what we have planned for the No Shots Fire uh, program, right? You know, because individuals that will come into the program are folks that may have been arrested. It may be on probation or somewhere in the system and its connection with them having something to do with a gun. And so if they want to be a part of the program, one of the things that we want to do is have make them have a, or, or convince them to have a commitment. If we work with you, you have to have a commitment, right? That you're going to put your guns down and that we're going to work together to help you change your life. And we also would do street outreach and reach out to those in the community, right? Because you have to have the carrot and the stick. The stick is, is that, look, if you continue to go this way, you know, the police going to crack down on you and you're going to end up in jail or end up in the grave. You know, we have to admit and acknowledge the fact that when we say we have a problem with over-policing, there's a reason why they're there. And so we have to address that reason or we're going to continue to have over-policing. And so the carrot is, hey, come over here. We'll help you. We'll incentivize, you know, some of uh, the support that you need and help you set up a map plan for your life and work with you and support you every day with everything that you need. You know, as I see it, a big part of this program is an attempt toward economic justice, providing a range of services, including financial assistance and scholarships as incentives away from violence. How badly do you think that kind of assistance is needed? Here's the thing when we talk about that, right? You know, the main objective is to get individuals to change their behaviors, right? And so I know many times, you know, the focus is on the incentives or the focus on, hey, we're serving marginalized and underserved communities and they need this support. But the thing of it is, you know, I'm a former gang member and I had my own apartment, my own cars, living with my girlfriend, had a job making good money, still gang banging. So if you don't change the mindset, it's going to continue to go on. But I think like when you want people to change their mindset, they could be in drugs or whatever they're doing. And we want them to leave that lifestyle so that we can support them or so they can change their life. Then we have to have some type of support base for them to help them change their lives by offering these incentives to say, hey, we will support you as long as you demonstrate that you're moving towards your goals and changing your life. Bishop, you've been quoted as saying that programs like this offer a lifeline to young people. Do you think the kids and young people you want to help will grab that lifeline? Well, you know, I believe some will and some won't, you know, because it's all about if they're ready. I left the gang at the age of 22 and a half years old. It was 21 when I finally made my mind up to do it. There's others that make a decision in their teens, 14, 15, 16 years old, and some later, 30, 40. So it just depends on them and what's going on in their life and being able to get the message and reach them because, you know, you do want to throw them a lifeline. Sometimes people take it, sometimes they don't. But, um, you know, I, I believe if you talk to 100 people and reach out to 100 people, you might you at least be able to get at least 10 to 20 of those folks. And so what we want to do is go to the hardest to serve and those that are uh, involved in the violence, that small percentage, right, that is involved in the violence. Yes, some are going to turn it away. Some are not going to want any help because they want to continue to do what they do. And I face that now. But then there's many that do want help. Right. Because one of the things I, I would like to say is that. 
you know, another piece that we do uh, uh, besides the peace walks, the peace meals, the different things like that, we also get out to the hospitals when individuals get shot uh, uh, through gang, gang related violence. And one thing that I found is that when you do get to the hospital and talk with these individuals, their mindset is different and they do want to change and they're thinking about their life and they could have lost their life. So if you can catch people in the midst of the trauma, in the midst of the crisis and help them maneuver through that, you can you, you really have a great uh, uh, chance of helping them change their lives and them making a real decision to move away from the violence. Bishop Cornelius Bowser, thank you so much for spending the time and speaking with us. Thank you, thank you for having me. California saw COVID-19 hospitalizations skyrocket around the holidays, and when staffing couldn't keep up, the state let hospitals put more patients on a nurse's workload than the law usually allows. But KPBSI News Source investigation found many hospitals that received permission submitted incomplete applications. In the second of a two-part series, KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento hears from hospitals that say they desperately needed the relief. It was around Halloween, and the outlook was frightening at Scripps Health. Senior Vice President of Human Resources Eric Cole said projections showed a surge of COVID-19 patients would arrive by the end of the year. That the number of patients we had today would grow five-fold um, over the next six to eight weeks. That meant its workforce needed to grow, too. A state law designed to support employee and patient safety mandates a certain ratio of nurses to patients. But Scripps struggled to find enough staff to meet required levels. They tried hiring. And those were in sl- uh, slim supply. They looked for travel nurses. Very slim supply since this was a nationwide pandemic and those resources were spread across the entire United States. And some core staff became sick as COVID-19 spread, making the situation even worse. Overnight, if the ICU creeps up five, six, um, uh, seven patients, I can't produce an RN overnight to fill the gap that I have to, to maintain those staffing ratios. Hospitals across the state face similar challenges during the pandemic, and the governor made it easier to stray from the staffing rules. Hospitals could receive a temporary waiver to expand a nurse's workload by one to two patients. Four Scripps facilities are among 200 California hospitals that received one since COVID-19 hit. Many applied during the winter surge. We had over 500 patients within our hospitals with COVID. That's five times more than what we had earlier in the year. The state health department declined an interview but said in an email, waivers should be a last resort. The waiver application says hospitals should exhaust alternatives before seeking one. But the state said in its email that facilities actually don't need to. And a KPBSI news source analysis of publicly posted waivers found dozens did not document they tried all listed alternatives before seeking the waiver. There are simply not enough nurses, not just in the state of California, not just in the United States, but not in the world. Carmela Coyle leads the California Hospital Association. She says staffing shortages occurred all over the country, but California has set nurse-to-patient ratios. And without a waiver, hospitals would have been forced to let patients wait in emergency rooms or ambulances. And if nurse-staffing ratios are preventing us from caring for more patients in the intensive care unit, 
um, that's not uh, an answer that we can accept. But El Centro Regional Medical Center CEO Adolph Edward raised concerns some facilities took advantage of the waiver process. I was fortunate to have received the waiver, and I'm saddened that hospitals would ask for them without really using them. I don't think that that's appropriate either because it wastes the time of CDPH in giving approvals for things that we shouldn't be asking for. Edward says the Imperial County Hospital applied after state-provided resources still were not enough. Their form noted they tried all alternatives listed. That includes setting up clinics for non-emergency cases, rescheduling elective procedures, and transferring patients. With the staff that we had, if we have not asked for a, a waiver, Um, we would really be in trouble. Two Scripps facilities did not note they tried all alternatives prior to their first application, but Cole says they did later for an extension. He says they tried to stay within ratios at all costs, but proactively requested a waiver ahead of the spike its projections showed was coming. I think it'd be poor planning and it will be, you know, harmful to our staff and our patients to not take advantage of a tool that's available Um, and use it sparingly when it's absolutely needed. The governor just last month canceled the expedited waivers because hospitalizations have declined. The California Nurses Association cited the move as a victory. But at least 84 hospitals were still granted extensions until the state provided them with more staff. Scripps says it received three nurses, and their time should end later this month. But that could depend on patient volumes. Taryn Mento, KPBS News. This story was co-reported by iNewsource investigative reporter Jill Castellano. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. This weekend in the arts, we have a festival of photography, a new play from Moxie Theater, a cross-border exhibition of art about the domestic realm, an architecture festival, and even a Broadway sing-along. It's a packed weekend, but joining me to walk us through it is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. And welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Now, first up is the Medium Festival of Photography, which you say is great for avid photographers and the rest of us alike. Can you tell us about how we can attend? Yeah, so this is a San Diego-based organization, Medium Photo, and it's their annual festival and portfolio review. They have a packed lineup of panels, workshops, and keynotes for anyone interested in elevating their work or learning from some masters. And most of the things you can buy individual passes for too if you can't attend the full thing. And they're also offering student rates too. But they have some local photography exhibitions for the rest of us. There's a Northern Exposure exhibition at Coffee and Tea Collective in North Park, which features five outstanding photographers working in Mexican border states. And while you're at Coffee and Tea, you can pick up a pack of special roasted coffee beans with packaging designed by cross-border artist Panka. And another great option for viewing 
is the portfolio presentations. This year they're looping the works of about 60 participating photographers on screens that you can watch from the sidewalk at Art Produce in North Park. And those will run 24 seven, so you can just walk by and check the stuff out. And the portfolio review is, is really at the heart of the Medium Festival and it's a really great chance to discover new work. But if you wanna learn more, Saturday evening is the keynote by Southern California photographer, Catherine Opie, who's pretty iconic in her work as a contemporary photographer and photojournalist. And they're doing limited availability outdoor simulcasts at the Photographer's Eye in Escondido or at Art Produce in North Park. And of course, you can also tune in online. That's at six o'clock on Saturday. The Medium Festival of Photography is going on now, and it runs through March 13th. In the theater world, tell us about what Moxie Theater is up to. Yeah, they're doing a production of I and You, which is a popular newish play by one of the most prolific living playwrights in America, Lauren Gunderson. It's a one-setting, two-actor thing, which I, I always love the intimacy of normally, but it's just the sort of script that works really well for filmed virtual performances. And this is Moxie's second show from their 2020-2021 season. And this one is set in the bedroom of Caroline, played by Justine Sombilon, who has become homebound from school due to illness. Her classmate Anthony comes over seemingly uninvited to work on a school poetry project together. And the play takes us through Caroline's anger and resentment into all of these themes of human connection. And Gunderson's writing is always whip smart and funny. Here's a clip from when Anthony first comes over. Why would I help you? In what planet, in what universe would I help with a school project when I'm not in fact in school right now? Like at all. I know that. Because I'm kind of sick. Like everyone knows I'm sick and everyone's freaked out about it and no one comes here and brings, what is that? Waffle fries. And brings waffle fries and bad posters to my house. That's a scene from Moxie's I and You. And I'm almost certain that the original script called for the character to bring cookies. I kind of love how in this production they used waffle fries. I'm, I'm told there are also cookies at some point. <laughs> Moxie Theater's INU opens Friday and runs through March 28th with ticketed virtual performances every Friday and Saturday night at 7.30 and Sunday afternoons at 2. There's a multidisciplinary exhibition opening at San Ysidro's The Front Gallery this weekend. Tell us about domestic geographies. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to this program, but let's start with the virtual opening reception this weekend. It's the front's 14th annual Dia de la Mujer exhibition, celebrating the Day of the Woman. And this work was stitched together by Tijuana artist and curator Ingrid Hernandez. And it includes something like 30 women and non-binary artists, mostly from the border region, ranging from visual art, performance art and video. There's pinata workshops and musical productions and film screenings. They all center on themes of resistance and power in the domestic realm. For example, it features work by Claudia Cano, who is known for these striking performance works where she dresses as a domestic worker and cleans in public spaces or at gallery openings and stuff like that. There is also work by Laura Etel Briseño and Irma Sofia Powder, Hong Kim and Chantal Peñalosa and tons more. 
The exhibition will open for in-person viewings by appointment starting Tuesday. So this is a nice way to get a fuller sense of what to expect, as well as listen to some of these incredible artists working in the region and beyond. That's Domestic Geographies opening at the front on Saturday with a virtual reception and artist talk at 6 p.m. Okay, now for families, what have you scoped out from the annual Open House San Diego Festival of Architecture? Yeah, there's plenty of free stuff, lots of it walking or self-guided tours, but one thing that caught my eye is the architectural sketching lessons for kids and adults taking place both Saturday and Sunday morning at 11 a.m., and each one focuses on an iconic building locally, and, and it's virtual. Saturday is the National City Aquatic Center, and Sunday is the Ocean Discovery Institute in City Heights. So grab a pencil and channel your inner Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay, Open House San Diego runs today through March 12th, and it's free to the public. And finally, a little Sunday afternoon music from San Diego's Leonard Patton. How can we tune in? Yeah, so this kicks off Bodhi Tree Concert's new season. It'll be a Broadway cabaret-style performance with the silken-voiced Leonard Patton, and he has a backing band that's like a who's who of San Diego's finest jazz musicians. Rob Thorson on bass, Ed Kornhauser on piano, and Julian Cantelm on drums. They're promising to do some sing-along-worthy tunes, but thankfully it's virtual, so you don't have to. But I'll leave you with this Leonard Patton song, your love makes me blue. It's from his latest full-length album, A Beautiful Day. I tried to put you out my mind, but love just makes me blue. Why feel? Cause you stay on my mind. You I feel and blues is on my mind. That's Leonard Patton, Your Love Makes Me Blue. Patton will perform virtually with Bodhi Tree Concerts on Sunday at 4 p.m. For more arts events or to sign up for the weekly KPBS Arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org slash arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, as always, thank you. Thanks, Maureen. Have a great weekend. Drowning Every tear that falls Is saved for you Every tear that falls Is saved for you Every day I try to Put you out my mind But love just makes me blue I feel and my mind stays On you Blue I feel and my mind stays on you Feeling low Cause love has made me blue
KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.